Support for Talking Art on WVIK comes from the people at Quad City Bank and Trust, helping the local community with their banking and financial needs for more than 20 years. Information is at qcbt.com. This is Carolyn Martin, and I'm talking art today with a contemporary art collector, Jordan Schnitzer, about the exhibition Pop Power from Warhol to Coons, Masterworks from the collections of Jordan D. Schnitzer and his family foundation, now on display at the Figgy Art Museum in Davenport. Welcome, Mr. Schnitzer. Well, thank you for having me. You have a fabulous museum in your city. Well, thank you. Now, your family foundation has the largest private collection of pop and neo-pop art in the country, a selection which is here in the Quad Cities right now. You've made it a mission to display the works that you've collected to the public. What would you say about the impact art can have on the quality of a person's life? Art has the ability to transform people's lives, especially young people. You know, looking back, we all were shaped and formed by our parents, teachers, friends, aunts, uncles, grandparents, whatever. But today I think it's an awfully complicated place for young people to grow up. And it's awfully hard sometimes for them to be inspired, have hope. Art does that. Every young person that comes in this exhibition will see something that they'll just light up their eyes and sparkle, and, uh, and they may always remember that moment. And who knows how that event may help shape and form their lives. Mm-hmm. Our lives really are improved by access to great art. I, I totally agree with that. And you have helped kind of spread that. Your, your mission is to, as far as I understand it, to showcase all these works. You have over 19,000 pieces, I believe, in your collection. And you've showed the, shown them in many, many museums across the country, over 100 so far. Well, let me give you a little background and tell you how lucky I was. Growing up in Portland, Oregon, my father started a real estate business that I've run for decades. And as an only child, when I went to first grade to Ainsworth Grade School, my mother enrolled in the Portland Art Museum Art School, now called Pacific Northwest College of Art. So that opened the art door for me and my father. And she started coming home with pastels and canvases, and I'd go down and see her in her classes with the other students. So she was about 30. The students were more like 18, 19, 20. Several years later, the art teachers, who were the main artists in Portland, convinced her to open an art gallery. So I had a working mother. She'd fly out of the house before my father, and uh, for 25 years she did a heck of a job helping all of us in the community, the businesses, the law firms, the hospitals, the accounting firms, and all the individuals realize how wonderful it was to have art in their homes and offices. Also, realize the importance of supporting local artists. Because unless we support local artists, and this applies to dance music as well as visual arts, they can't stay in our communities. Mm -hmm. So I grew up with art all around me. What a great experience that must have been. And I, and I understand there's, there's this great story that, that, uh, exposure to your mother's art gallery was, was transformative in a way. And you as a very young person, as an adolescent, purchased your first painting. Well, I was lucky in that, uh, for, you know, holidays and birthdays, uh, I'd often get art. And when I was 14, I was at the gallery and there was a wonderful artist named Louis Bunce. And there was a small study called Sanctuary. And I really, really liked it. And I had an allowance, and uh, so I decided to ask my mother if I could buy it. It was $75, but with the family discount, it was $60. <laughs> I paid $5 a month for 12 months to pay for it. And as I've suggested, if I ever missed a payment, my mother knew where to foreclose <laughs> since my bedroom was next to theirs. 
That's I, great. I still have the work. It's uh, there every morning. I say hello to it, and it's been with me ever since. I don't suppose very many teenagers have purchased art through a layaway program before. <laughs> I think you'd find, not just for, for younger people, but for anyone, galleries are wonderful about helping different kinds of payment programs because their job is helping get artists' work into your, your lives. Mm-hmm. Well, this exhibition, which you, you've been so instrumental in bringing here to our community, features pop art. And pop art, you know, the name in, in, in part certainly arrives from the word pop, popular, popular culture. So it's a celebration of that. Why do you think pop art evolved? And, and when exactly did that occur? Sure. Well, if you think about art <clears throat> and artists, they've always been chroniclers of our time. If we look back at Egyptian art, Aztec art, Chinese art, Horses on caves in France. The artist's job is to force us to deal with issues of society, irrespective of whatever millennium it is. Now let's go back in time when Roy Lichtenstein, Jasper Johns, Claus Oldenburg, Andy Warhol were all coming of age. They're some of the big names in this exhibition. So they often were in the, in the army, in the service, they finished their schooling in 46, 47, 48, 49, 50, that kind of time frame, and started generally teaching in the early 50s. But they really wanted to make art as well as teach art. Now, if we think back in time as to what was going on then, back to there being chroniclers of our time, World War II was over, the world thought it was a new day, and I'd suggest quickly that probably the biggest transformation in our lives was television. Now, my father and grandfather grew up listening to radio shows, and certainly there were newspapers, so advertisers could advertise a Chevrolet or Marlboro cigarettes, or and movies, the early part of the last century, you could go to a movie in your downtown your city, and that movie may have opened up in 2,500 theaters across the country, but nothing changed marketing and advertising the way television did, because of its being so visual. So it's hard to imagine now with all of our smartphones and our being bombarded with a million messages a day, but when every home across the country began to get in the early 50s television, Madison Avenue, all the advertising agencies in New York evolved. So suddenly people are being, being influenced by very subtle creative marketing. Drive a Bel Air Chevrolet. Use Clairol hair products to have that blonde hair style. So, very, very material products, very, too. I didn't very, think about that. Absolutely. So, so that, that does somewhat explain the iconic images. That's right. So what was happening here was the culture of the time was the exploding Levittowns, all the houses, the suburbs, people moving back east. The country was changing. And therefore, the artists, what they faced was, in essence, the theme of how does the individual maintain their sense of individuality? their sense of values, when they're being bombarded with material marketing, it's not a bad thing. You're having tons of choices. But how emits a new revolutionary thing in society? So that's why the term pop art for popular culture evolved. Mm-hmm. There is so much humor in pop art, which is one of the things that I enjoy about it. And... Uh, it's so interesting to think that um, a humor-filled, light-filled art that makes you laugh arose out of the 
the darkness of World War II and so many of the other life experiences that these these artists, you know, lived through. It also blurs this, you know, this this boundary between kind of high art and low art is blurred in pop art. There are two uh, forces going on, I think, with the, the these artists. Now, if we think about an artist, everyone listening to this, I'm sure, had art classes in grade school and in high school. And I bet you everybody listening to this, when they're at a restaurant and has some time, and there's a some crayons there, whatever, we doodle on a, on a piece of paper on the, on, the, on the table there. So we're all artists. But for the artist to get into the Figgy Art Museum, a couple things have to happen. One is they've got to have a burning passion inside them about some theme, some idea, that they're willing to rip open their guts. And whether it's painting, sculpture, print, put it on a wall, and have everyone look at it. Second of all, they've got to do it in a different way. If this exhibition at the Figgy was um, Van Gogh knockoffs, that might be interesting, you know, local people that want to do a painting like Van Gogh. Okay, whatever. But we've already had a Van Gogh. So if you think about all the artists in this exhibition, what was going on with them when they were in school? Sure, they had to study all the, uh, the Rubens, Rembrandt, all the major artists throughout history, like every art student does. But in the late 40s, when they were going to school, the first half of the artists in the show, the people they were impressed with were the abstract expressionists, the Rothkos and the Jackson Pollock, throwing a bunch of paint on this thing. Now, all the established art critics were saying, this is crap, this is horrible. But the art students were saying, wow, look at this. They're opening up a way of expressing themselves and their feelings. Now, what were the abstract expressionists doing? Well, if we think back in time, Freud, Jung, the big movement about your mind and how we think and sleep and feel and our conscious and unconscious, that was a huge theme in the 30s, 40s, and 50s. So those artists, the abstract expressionists, were responding to that huge societal change. But the younger artists, the Roy Lichtenstein's, Jasper Johns, Ellsworth Kelly, and so forth, they couldn't do abstract art, abstract expressionist art because that was already done. So they had to do something new. So that's why they all evolved doing the consumerism, materialism. Roy Lichtenstein does a series. He was traveling in Italy, and he saw a lot of billboards of, of furniture stores. He loved that. So he did a whole series, interior series, about furniture and so forth. Andy Warhol probably is the prince of all those artists. If you look at his themes, one theme after another, bursting through art in ways that never been done before. Mm -hmm. okay. Now... He does portraits of Marilyn, Mao, Elvis. Portraits have been around since again, the beginning of time, but he did them in a different way. So every artist in this exhibition, the pop artists and the neo-pop artists, a term that the initial curator came up with, uh, are doing things that have never quite been done before. Mm -hmm. That's why they're at the Figgy mm -hmm. Museum. Well, you've described this show as, a, as, as joyful and a, a feast for the eyes. What will the visitor discover at this Figgy show? I don't want to knock John Singer Sargent and a lot of older artists. Okay, amazing work. But, you know, for instance, if you're taking a class of kids through those shows, within four minutes they're squirming and, oh, gosh, okay, those docents have a tough job. You come in this show, and whether you're two or 102, your eyes will light up. 
these are amazing colors, amazing shapes, forms, things that'll make you smile, laugh, be pensive. It's an easy on the eye show, and yet the work grabs you and makes you think. Mm-hmm. Because there's a lot of color, and there's a lot of humor, and there are many works over 100, I understand. Sure. Mm-hmm. You know, let's, let's take a theme right now that's gripping the country, the Black Lives Matter. Important. Too many decades we haven't faced the reality of, of the white supremacy and racism and issues that we're not proud of in this country. We need to change. Now think about Andy Warhol. In the 80s, he does a series here of Queens. So if we go back in time and think about Queens, if someone said in 1985, 87, whatever, said, well, tell me, who are Queens you would think of? Well, first you'd say Queen Elizabeth. There was Queen Beatrice. I mean, it's all those European countries. And Andy Warhol did uh, images of some of those Queens. But he also did a couple of African-American Queens. Queen of Swaziland. Who would have ever thought about that? No one would have thought about that. So there again, as to whether he was being precise with what he was doing, things just didn't happen with Andy Warhol. Very thoughtful. Mm -hmm. Very peculiar personality. His idiosyncrasies. But brilliant in what he did. Mm -hmm. So that series. He did Endangered Species series. Way before everyone talked about the environment. I mean, one thing after another. You'll see that with Jasper Johns, Roy Lichtenstein, Klaus Oldenburg. He does a bunch of art. They picked a lot of, of items around us. Jasper John's first big breakthrough was the American flag. No one had thought about our flag as a piece of art. Andy Warhol, his big theme was the democratization of art. What he was trying to say is art's just not in museums. Art's all around us. Next time you're in the grocery store, walking down those aisles, look at the shapes, the forms of the Campbell soup cans, the the, thing, the way things are, 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 are marketed. So these, these artists of the, of the early 50s and 60s and 70s burst through a lot of different ceilings. Mm-hmm. They're, they're deceptively simple when you look at it, but it's deceiving because there are so many ideas and themes, so, many, so much social commentary, really, from, from these works. Um, and you, you, know, you mentioned Andy Warhol several times and several other well-known artist, Roy Lichtenstein. Um, is there a less-known artist that people may not be familiar with that perhaps is not a household name that you'd like to mention uh, whose work is currently on display from your collection at the Figgy? Well, I think the <laughs> there's two groups of artists here. And the theme when the curators at the Taubman Museum in Roanoke, Virginia, came up with the show, they wanted to basically show people the best of the pop art, and then the best of what he calls the neo-pop art, the, the current younger artists, younger meaning they're in their 50s and 60s and 70s. But uh, And um, so all the names in this show are really well-known names. It's not like this is an emerging artist. But thematically what happens is, just as the abstract expressionists influenced the young Jasper Johns and Ellsworth Kelly and Frank Stella and so forth, the Frank Stella, Jasper Johns, Ellsworth Kelly, so forth, uh, influenced the, the Jeff Koons, the Murakami, the, the Julian Opie, uh, all the second group of artists. So what's neat about this exhibition for the public is they get to see the best of the last 50 years in one place and see how the work influences, how the older artists influenced 
these younger artists that are top of the heap now. Mm-hmm. I never really thought about the two distinct um, time periods, but but you're correct. And Jeff Koons, you mentioned that name. I had to look him up. He he designed those balloon animals, which I immediately recognized. They're these these iconic sculptures that I think everyone is familiar with. And um, uh, and Keith Haring, of course, who's so well known. Robert Indiana with his love sculptures. Um, there's this misperception with art museums that um, that that it's a refined place that you have to appreciate art that you have to know about art beforehand and um, and that's really a shame that's something that's an obstacle I think we need to get over um, people need to know that it's a home for them that they can come at any time uh, wh- what would you say about the accessibility of of, of our art museums in terms of, um, and specifically people's perceptions about whether or not they belong there. What I'd like to say to every, every listener is this museum's yours. It's for you. It's not for someone else. It's not for some elitist view. The art doesn't bite. It may grab you and make you think, okay, but it doesn't hurt. And especially if you've got kids, grandkids, nieces, nephews, neighbor kids, whatever, and they're sitting around instead of just, you know, watching all you know, their video games and so forth, Take them and say, come on, let's go down here. Let them run around. They'll love it. So this museum, the work in this museum is for everybody, not for some elitist view. Also, you don't need to know anything about the artist. You can just go in and just feel it. Look at it. Let your heart soar. Don't worry about it. You don't have to understand it. It'll speak to you. It'll grab you, especially this show. It's so colorful. The objects are so interesting. The themes so obvious and so subtle. Do you, do you think the younger generation is more interested in, in social or political issues, or do you think that's been a theme throughout? Any of us of any generation, I think, tend to look back and think that life was calmer when we were younger. But I remember saying my prayers at night, hoping during the Cuba Missile Crisis that there wasn't going to be an atomic war. Mm-hmm. So things were always complicated. They are, they are always complicated. And sometimes I think we forget what youth is dealing with. And, and, um, and it, you know, it's been a mission of yours also to involve youth, to pull more um, teenagers and young people into art museums. And there's a, a real purpose to, you know, there's a real purpose to that. I think it does help them think more deeply and it, it makes them feel more connected and, um, and helps them be more creative people. Well, so we're, I totally agree. Where I was going with this was this. Um, uh, today, I, mean, I wish Andy Warhol and those pop artists were here to see what they would think about the smartphone, right? So the good news is that we all, young people, with a flick of a button, can access more information than anyone ever in history has ever had. On the other hand, uh, is that overload? I mean, what's it like to grow up today uh, with the mindset they have. Okay? So the one thing that happens is with the Instagram and Facebook and all the social media is you know everything happening to all your friends, everyone around the world, and you're being told, in essence, you're being influenced what music to listen to, where to go, what club, what to eat. I mean, look at the, we used to think about what restaurant to go to. Got these kids pick up their phone, hit a button, and, and uh, Yelp tells them where to go, Right. So today in society, I would suggest the ultimate importance of this exhibition and art in general 
is everyone that goes in there. No one can tell you, Carolyn, anyone what's right and wrong when you look at this art. And that's a pretty special thing today. And I would suggest that all of us need a respite, need a break from the, the, the day-to-day lives we have where we can go on our own journey with these being guided by these brilliant artists. They happen to be at the right place at the right time. And every artist in this exhibition didn't just do one kind of work and be known the rest of their lives for that. Roy Lichtenstein would get to his studio at 8 in the morning. He'd work till 5 every day. And I would suggest all of these artists were just like that. They work at their craft. They keep evolving it. And therefore, going to visit this art takes you away from our, our daily lives, lets us be influenced in many different ways. And I guarantee you that all of us who get to see this exhibition will leave in some way forever changed, whether it's conscious, unconscious, something will happen. And another suggestion, too, and that is that during the pandemic, We've all been so used to everything being done virtually. We're all on our smartphones, our computers, the TV, whatever. And we didn't have our normal socialization. What's great about the museum opening up now is it's a totally different experience. Seeing the art, the tactileness, the, the seeing it in the space, seeing art, different artists next to each other and how that works sort of uh, uh, inter- interacts with, with, with each, each work. So it's a total different experience that I think we're all desperate for right now, mm-hmm. coming out of the year, year and a half of living virtually. It's been a rough year, hasn't it? And uh, and what a great thing to have this exhibit now, at this time, so full of color, so joyful. Thank you so much for bringing uh, this exhibition here and for talking with me today. Wonderful. Well, the only shame is, is after the fabulous job your museum staff has done here, they curated the show Brilliantly, uh, the way the art's arranged in the rooms and what they put where, really, it's, 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 it's so exciting to see. So the only shame is if every single person in Davenport and all the surrounding cities and counties don't visit this exhibition before it closes in several months, that would be a shame. It's there for everybody. <laughs> the exhibition Pop Power from Warhol to Coons, Masterworks from the Collections of Jordan D. Schnitzer and His Family Foundation, can be viewed through September 19th at the Figgy Art Museum in Davenport. Bring your whole family and be prepared for a lot of fun. Additional information can be obtained at figgyartmuseum.org. This has been Carolyn Martin, Talking Art in the Quad Cities, for WVIK. Music is provided by a Quad City legend, the late Ellis Cal.